your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope. Brought to you by the Sensory Learning Center with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Hello, and welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope. I am your host, Betsy Hicks. Our show here is about autism, causes, treatments, therapies, and more. And I want to thank you for joining us today. You'll be so glad you did, because today's guest is the author of two phenomenal books, Vaccines, Are They Really Safe and Effective?, and Vaccines, Autism, and Childhood Disorders. His name is Neil Miller. But before I introduce Neil, let me please thank the Therapy Learning Center in Lebanon, Ohio, for sponsoring today's show. The wonderful Neil Miller is a medical research journalist and natural health advocate. He is the author of numerous articles and books on vaccines and is the director of Think Twice Global Vaccine Institute. He has a degree in psychology and is a member of Mensa. He lives in northern New Mexico with his family. Neil, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Betsy. I'm glad to be here. First, I want to thank you for writing these books because it took a lot of courage and I'm sure you were not met with a lot of open arms uh, uh, through the medical community <laughs> when you first wrote these. Oh, no. When I, came, when I first started speaking out about, about the problems uh, with the safety and efficacy of vaccines, uh, this was going back to late 80s and early 90s, uh, every time I got I published an article, the medical industry would actually go and harass the uh, the magazine that published my article. And when I spoke on spoke out on radio, they would contact uh, the radio uh, uh, the radio station and they would harass them as well and make all sorts of threats. So no, it wasn't easy in the early days. Can you give our listeners just a brief brief synopsis? Uh, let's first talk about vaccines. Are they really safe and effective? Um, just so that those who may not have read the book yet know a little bit about what the general synopsis of the book is. Well, I, I decided when, when my children were born, I decided to do some research to find out how safe and effective the vaccines were and whether they were in the best interests of, of our family. Um, and uh, I began gathering information from medical and scientific libraries and was astounded at what I discovered, information that was, was buried in the medical journals and wasn't being made uh, public to the parents who needed the information the most. And so I decided I needed to make my uh, <clears throat> information available to everybody. So the vaccines, are they really safe and effective, is, is a compilation of information on every vaccine that a ch- child has to, is, is uh, told that he, has to re- he or she has to receive. And I look systematically at the disease itself, how dangerous is that disease if, if the child contracts it. And then I look at the safety and efficacy of the vaccine. I look at the scientific studies. I look at the, the, the research. 
and uh, there's a lot of graphs and charts, and uh, there's more than 900 references in the back of the book so the parents can research and confirm all of the data. That, and that's so important because we're being challenged on this type of information all the time. Uh, the book, which followed Vaccines, Autism, and Childhood Disorders, is really also extremely well done. I mean, it, it reiterates a, a, a bit of what you did in the first book. However, the information in it is very very different because you have a lot of um, kind of almost like abstracts of a lot of different stu- different types of studies as well. Well, you're talking about vaccines on autism and childhood disorders right, now? Right. Well, what happened was vaccines, the first book, vaccines, I've actually written several other books that, that, that um, I've, I've allowed to, some of them to go out of print. Some are still available if, if people look hard. But the, the two main ones, these are the two main books. Vaccines, are they really safe and effective? Every parent needs to really, really get to, to, to look at and to, to, to weigh the evidence against other sources of information that they're getting, you know, from their from the FDA, from the CDC, and, and wherever else they're getting their information. But when I wrote Vaccines, Autism, and Childhood Disorders, <clears throat> I wrote that because there was, an, you know, I realized, and I've, I've, I've always documented the epidemic of, of autism following vaccines. And uh, I was one of the original to write about the uh, Leo Kanner in the 1940s uh, discovering autism for the first time and was able to trace it back to uh, – actually, I wasn't the one to originally trace it back, and it wasn't Leo Kanner, but it was uh, uh, Harris Coulter. Um, he was a you know brilliant medical researcher who was able to realize that autism back in the 1940s and 50s was 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 coming on the tails of the DPT vaccine, the pertussis vaccine, which was recently introduced in the late 1930s, and uh, the explosion of DPT to, uh, of uh, autism started to really take place in the 1960s when when. Uh, the uh, vaccine uh, immunization campaigns were taken nationally, and and all the kids were were being uh, forced to to have these vaccines. That's when autism began showing up, not just in the families of of uh, uh, rich families or or families of of uh, parents with with a high educational uh, background, uh, because that's what they what they, what what was happening in the 1940s and 1950s. But by the 1960s, autism was being discovered in in uh, in, in all families across, the, you know, in all socioeconomic uh, families. Um, but it again exploded in the, in the late 80s and 1990s and became a, a, a true, you know, off-the-charts epidemic. Definitely. And uh, that's when I realized, and, and, I, and I was speaking out at the time about the links uh, between the vaccines and autism, but, of course, I was just a little, you know, lone voice in the, you know... <laughs> And 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 so I decided I needed to I needed to write this other book, Vaccines, Autism, and Childhood Disorders, basically to um, you know to chronicle the yeah. the corruption that's gone on within the industry and to again you know in in my own small way to awaken parents to the, to this problem. So I do document some of the studies, I do document some of the corruption, I document some of the congressional hearings. Some of the debate that's gone on here in the United States and over in England, uh, you know, so that that's what the, that's what this book is about. They're both they're both fantastic, and one of the things that I really want to speak about today is not about mercury because we, we've done so much to cover the mercury piece, and 
and there's so much being, um, there's so much anger out there towards the mercury, rightfully so. It is absolutely horrible. There's no reason it should be there. But this is not the sole reason that vaccines are harmful. And that's where I think it's really misunderstood. And your book does a great job. And I'd like to um, touch on a few of the, the, the basic ones that um, people know so much about. For example, polio. And so much great information about polio. I want to talk, I want to ask you a little bit about SIM40. And I want to talk to you a little bit about retroviruses, if we could. Because um, a lot of people are not aware of how they are making vaccines. And could you explain first off, you know, how the polio, in general, how all vaccines are made, but specifically the polio? Yes, people don't uh, don't realize. You know, in fact, I, I've written a peer-reviewed article uh, on the polio vaccine. Um, if, if people get up to my website, there's a link up there. My website is thinktwice.com, and there's a link to that um, peer-reviewed uh, study on the polio vaccine. And <clears throat> a lot of people don't don't realize that. When the, when the two vaccines came out in the late 1950s and the early 1960s, we had the we had the live polio we had the dead polio vaccine and the live live virus polio vaccine. Of course, the initial dead polio vaccine actually had um, live virus in it and and was causing uh, was a great cause of polio in the 1950s. Uh, we had the Cutter incident and several others that were were buried. Um, you know, a lot of people coming down with polio, uh, but 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 in the early 1960s, uh, the live polio vaccine was introduced, and the reason the live polio vaccine was introduced in the 1960s was because the uh, medical industry said the dead polio vaccine doesn't work; it's ineffective, and so we have to get rid of it, and we have to use the live polio vaccine. Well. Every year since that live polio vaccine was introduced, it has been the cause of, of numerous cases of polio. And in fact, by the time, uh, by the time the night, late 1970s rolled around, all the way through the 1980s and 1990s, every single case of polio in the United States was actually caused by the live polio vaccine. Now, this is even acknowledged by the FDA and the CDC in their, uh, you know, official reports. Because polio was all but a rat, oh, almost completely eradicated by the time they came out with the vaccine, wasn't it? Or was it was very, very, it was very, very low? Well, they take credit for it. But, um, the, 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 the medical industry likes to take credit for it. And there's a point I want to make about that. But the, 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 the thing I just I wanted, just wanted to close this one, one sure. thing that I brought up, this one point I brought up was in, 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 uh, in uh, a few years ago, the, the medical industry, to, to, to deal with this problem of the live polio vaccine, causing every single case of polio in the United States, they decided we're going to pull it off the market and we're going to go back to the dead polio vaccine. So the vaccine that they're giving to children today, the polio vaccine that they're giving to children today, is the exact same dead polio vaccine with some slight modifications that, that they took off the market in the early 1960s because they said it was ineffective and didn't work. But that's the one they're giving today. Um, <clears throat> so if it's, if it's still... Are there cases coming out there now? Is, is it causing some more cases? Is polio ever being outbroken anywhere? Um, the, th the thing about polio, what happened is when they when and there's some games that the medical industry plays, and, and, and you know I've written I've written about this in a small booklet I call. In fact, you can go to my website I've got several articles on this. I call them ploys. 
30 dirty ploys the medical industry uses to hoodwink the public. And one of those ploys is, is a technique of where they manipulate statistics to make their vaccines look more effective than they are. And the thing about the polio vaccine is when they, when they brought the polio vaccine out, they simultaneously changed the definition, the legal definition of polio. So before the polio vaccine was introduced, they had other, uh, they had, you know, basically everything that looked like polio was labeled as polio, and you essentially didn't have to have a laboratory diagnosis to call it polio. Mm-hmm. After the vaccine was introduced, they changed the legal definition, and <clears throat> they reclassified polio into three different classifications. So now they weren't just calling it polio, but they were also calling it a septic meningitis, and they were calling it something else as well, Coxsackie virus. They also required 60 days of observation and uh, laboratory observation and, 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 you know, uh, you know, to, before you can even label it as polio. So what this did, this has inflated the efficacy of the, of the polio vaccine. Now, I don't want to underscore the, 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 the seriousness of contracting polio if it moves into the, into the crippling stage. But I also want to point out that 99% of every case of polio will not, uh, of every case of polio will not cause any sort of, of paralytic form. Most people don't realize that that you can contract polio, not even barely even realize it, and and it would never move into the paralytic form. Another thing that people don't realize is that more than ninety nine percent of everyone who is exposed to the polio to the polio germ will not contract polio, and that gets cuts cuts right to the point, the, a crucial point. For example, if the polio germ is in a room. And 100 people are in that room and 99 people don't get it. That's telling us that the body, the nutritional status of the body is what's more significant as to whether or not you're going to contract right. that disease. That's right. We're talking with Neil Miller. Vaccines, are they really safe and effective? Please don't go away. We'll be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. 
to create a kind and gentle world. A change in thought patterns and beliefs, individually and collectively, is needed. Join Suze Casey, developer of Belief Repattering, and her guest as they explore questions and conversations that push the boundaries and engage with you in the process of being who we really are and creating what we really want in our lives. What Do You Want Instead invites you to join the conversation every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What Do You Want Instead supports you in honoring and accepting yourself and and making the decisions that create the lifestyle you desire and deserve. Hi, this is Mark Victor Hansen. You know me for Chicken Soup for the Soul, the One Minute Millionaire, and Cracking the Millionaire Code. And what I want you to know is that if you want to have rip-roaringly good health, listen to Health Crusades by my friend John Farley. Tune in to Health Crusades with John Farley every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, only on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. Thank you for rejoining us. We're here with Neil Miller, author of Vaccines that Are Really Safe and Effective and having a nice conversation here about the polio vaccine is very interesting information, Neil. Um, can you kind of pick up, we've talked a little bit about um, how actually a new disease can be created from the vaccines themselves. Yeah, that's, that's important. You had asked me about retroviruses, and, uh, and the polio vaccine is a, is, a, is a good example. A lot of people don't, re- and you, a lot of people don't realize how the polio vaccine is made. And, it's in- it, you know, the oral polio vaccine is incubated in, in uh in monkey kidneys, people don't realize that we we've ha- we have an entire industry that raises monkeys, slaughters them, pulls out their kidneys, and to uh, create a polio vaccine, you have to uh, incubate the uh, the, the uh, polio germ in in those uh, monkey kidneys. Well, I don't know if you have to, but that that's the process that 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 that's used by our our medical scientists. And if that sounds odd to you or it sounds like I'm making up some crazy stuff, well, I assure you that, that it's, it's all documented. You can read the physician's desk reference, the PDR at the local library, and you can... You can read the insert in your vaccine. You can, right. You can read the inserts in the yeah. vac- when, when you go to get the shots for the kids. If you want to read that, the inserts, it's, it's listed right there, the, the whole production process. Um, but the thing that, that, that took place in the 1950s and 1960s, um, when they were doing this, when they were brewing these these polio vaccines in these these monkey kidneys, we did not have the scientists at the time did not have proper virus detection techniques. So what was happening was monkey viruses were getting uh, filtering into the into the vaccine that was being produced, and we didn't find out about this until the until the mid 1980s. So from the late 1950s into the mid-1980s, vaccines were being produced with monkey viruses. And they call them SV, SV viruses, which stand for simian viruses. Simian is just another word for monkey. Now, now one particular vaccine, one particular uh, uh, virus, which is, is not a problem virus in the monkey, but if it crosses species into the human, it's a serious problem. And that's exactly what happened. And what I'm telling you about right now, what I'm, what I'm speaking about, has been documented in more than 61 studies in different, uh, by different researchers throughout the world. And I document a lot of these studies in, in my, uh, 
in my research and in my books. Um, but what happened was SV40, that was the 40th monkey virus researchers found since they began looking, was cancer-causing. And that was injected into more than 100 million people, okay, when they were getting those polio vaccines. So basically, monkey kidneys are used to develop polio vaccines. SV40, which is a cancer-causing virus, thrived in these monkey kidneys. Polio vaccines that were, were made with this, and they were contaminated. Millions of people in the USA and throughout the world were infected. Mm-hmm. Now, cancer rates have increased. SV40 has been found in brain tumors, bone cancers, lung cancers, and leukemia. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because even if the medical industry could take, could take credit and prove that their vaccine is responsible for reducing the incidence of polio in the United States and throughout the world, they also have to take the flip side credit for increasing disease in, in the, in the uh, population as well. And that's an important point because it's not wise for parents simply to look at one side of the equation and to say, well, you know what, there were lots of these diseases at one point in history. The vaccine came along and reduced the incidence because we also have to look at how are these vaccines causing new diseases. And I document many of those new diseases that these vaccines have been linked to. Neil, it's important to note, too, that retroviruses get into your DNA. Mm-hmm. So we have passed, myself included, have passed these retroviruses on to our children who may or may not have autism. These retroviruses that we're speaking of, for example, just looking at one of them, simian virus again, that has been, been documented that it's passed from mother to child through birth, and it's also passed from uh, for, uh, through sexual contact between the, the, uh, adults that, that you know have this. So this simian virus that these adults got when they were injected with these polio vaccines, they're passing that along. It's spreading in a, in a similar way the way, way that AIDS or any other viral disease is spreading. Now, we started to touch base a little bit about how a lot of these vaccines, not just polio, but a lot of the vaccines are, are made. Um, first off, I have to tell you, the best laugh I had of this whole year so far was watching your wonderful spoof video um, on flu, the flu vaccine. And anybody who has not had an opportunity to see this, please go to Neil's website, thinktwice.com. Or yes, isn't thinktwice.com. Thinktwice.com. And it's under the flu vaccine. Yeah, if they go to the, the link website. on the flu vaccine. Uh-huh. And then you can watch this. Very, very funny video on how was was this your idea, Neil? No, no, it wasn't. But but it's it's well worth anybody's time. I also have some articles up there on on avian flu. If anybody's worried about the the the, the, the so-called coming pandemic, oh, yeah. I, I talk about that as well. Uh, but yeah, but let's let's go back to manufacturing or, or actually making these um, vaccines and all the pres- these preservatives. Okay, yes, we know thimerosal is evil, bad. It's in there. We're hopefully going to get it out. That'll be great. However, let's talk about formaldehyde. What's that doing to the fascia? Let's talk about aluminum and what that's doing to Alzheimer's. Well, you know what? Let me. I'll tell you something. Let me just do a quick read on. uh, You know, you know. I I put together a book called Chemical a booklet that that I that I offer to people. It's called Chemical Stew: Your Guide to Vaccine Ingredients. And I just want to read a small uh, just on chicken. On oh, chickenpox vaccine, okay? The chickenpox vaccine, I'll tell you something about that. When I was a kid growing up, when somebody got chickenpox, the doctors used to tell you, 
go next door and get it while you're still a kid. Right. Okay? Then after they came out with the vaccine, the CDC handed down instructions to, the, to, to all of the medical doctors. You're no longer to speak about chickenpox as a simple um, little disease. You have to warn parents about how dangerous it is now because they had a vaccine and they, needed to, they wanted to get people sure. you know, <clears throat> vaccinated to make it all uh, lucrative. But here's a, um, an excerpt. What I'm about to read to you comes directly from the uh the listings um from uh from, from how this chickenpox vaccine is produced and the title is is Verivax uh Verivax is a chickenpox vaccine derived from the Okamurk strain of live varicella virus so basically they take the ver- the, the chickenpox virus and they begin with that the virus was originally acquired from a, ch- a child with natural chickenpox then introduced into human embryonic lung cell cultures Okay. Now, what that means is, is that they're using a human fetus. Remember how I talked about the polio vaccine is being uh, incubated in uh, monkey kidneys? Right. Well, the chickenpox vaccine is incubated in 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 in, in a human fetal tissue. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once it's once it's introduced into human embryonic lung cell cultures, it's adapted to and propagated in embryonic guinea pig cell cultures. So then they transfer it to a guinea pig. And finally, propagated in human diploid fetal tissue cell cultures. So now it's moving back into human uh, human fetus again, but a different uh, a different portion of of the fetus. Okay, uh, and then it says further passage of the virus occurred in MRC5 human diploid cell cultures. This live vaccine also contains sucrose, sodium chloride. Monosodium glutamate, that's MSG, sodium phosphate dibasic, potassium phosphate monobasic, potassium chloride, processed gelatin, which comes from a pig, by the way, uh, uh, residual amounts of MRC5 cells, including DNA and protein, plus small amounts of sodium phosphate monobasic, EDTA, neomycin, which is a, an antibiotic, and they're wondering why we're, we're losing, you know, uh, why... Uh, why antibiotics are, are not as effective as they once right, were, right, right. and fetal bovine serum, which is just another word for, for the cow. So all of these are constituents of just that chickenpox vaccine. And all of the disease, every single one of those constituents could have had a disease that could go unpassed within the vaccine. All of it, but you know, and and but the thing that you know, people ask me, you know, because I didn't, I have a twenty-year-old son, and I've got a uh, actually he's twenty-one now, and I've got an uh, an eighteen-year-old daughter. My children have never been vaccinated; they're they're as healthy as can be, and people people will ask me, you know, about that, and uh, it's just it's just amazing to me that people think you can achieve health by injecting healthy people with with toxic substances. Yeah, it is. We are having a wonderful conversation here with Neil Miller on his book, Vaccines, Are They Really Safe and Effective? Coming up still, we have to talk about vaccine autism and childhood disorders. Please don't go away. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. The pressures to be thin or ideal go beyond the Hollywood headlines. In fact, those suffering from eating disorders in the U.S. number in the millions, and eating disorders such as anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating are more common than Alzheimer's disease. Eating disorders affect men, women, adolescents, as well as young children. On Understanding Eating Disorders, Dr. Tom Scales, an internist and psychiatrist, uncovers the causes and characteristics of various eating disorders and shares his expertise on current treatment approaches. Expert guests and personal stories from some who have recovered reveal the depth of emotional conflicts of these dangerously obsessive conditions and the resolutions that work. Tune in to Understanding Eating Disorders with Dr. Tom Scales every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Understanding Eating Disorders, the cycle of eating disorders, can be broken. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. We're talking with Neil Miller and the author of two wonderful books and many, many, many articles and other books, but the one we're speaking of today is Vaccines, Are They Really Safe and Effective? And what we're going to speak about now is his book, Vaccines, Autism, and Childhood Disorders. Neil... Not having a child on the spectrum, which is rare for somebody writing on this topic, um, what, you know, you spoke a little bit about it. you were already preparing lots of information, you already had a lot of the studies, you saw the autism go on the rise, you had given the warnings prior to it being there, um, but where have you seen this whole thing go? The whole autism outbreak. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, I feel bad also, not just for the kids that are being damaged, but in the past five years, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years, speaking out about vaccines, and it's only about the past five years that, that the, the issue has really broken open into the, into the media. And it's only been about the past five or six years that autism organizations have started springing up uh, in answer to, to this plight. And... Uh, <laughs> And I see them come on, and they're all, you know, these, you know, and, you know, they're, they're fresh, they've got fresh energy, and, and they're ready to take on the FDA and the CDC, and, 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 you know, and, and, you know, the sad thing is they're all so rational, and they're so reasonable, and they don't understand that that's not what they're dealing with, that's not what they're up against, and they don't understand that they're just a drop in the bucket, and they, 
the big old medical machine is just going to keep rolling forward. Uh, you know, years ago, before <clears throat> before autism hit the uh, hit the you know the the, the 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 screen, the media screen, DPT and SIDS was the big issue. Uh, the, the, the mercury and the pertussis, the mercury and the pertussis vaccine was causing huge problems with with kids dropping dropping off, you know, left and right from sudden infant death syndrome. And of course, the medical industry was totally covering that up. Oh, parents were being blamed, going to jail for uh, hurting their, their children. Well, shaken baby syndrome was not even nearly, you know, that 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 started out. That that came along. You, as well, you know, next next came shaken baby syndrome, oh. where where some of these they were they started increasing the amount of vaccines that these kids were being required to receive, and some of these uh, were causing hematomas in the brain that mimic if you were to shake the baby, okay? And so when the kids get these when they die, the kids get a vaccine, they have a hematoma in the brain. And then the, the coroner does a does a an autopsy, and he says the parents shook the baby, and the, the, it's usually the father that gets blamed. And we have many many cases of parents that are not only grieving for the death of their child that they don't understand, but then they're being framed by the medical industry and ending up in jail. Okay, some of them have got lifetime sentences, <clears throat> all for simply following um, the, the, the the medical recommendations that they get their kids uh, vaccinated and so we've had we've had we have some lawyers that are working full time that's all they do is work on these cases to to try to to, to, to deal with this we've got expert witnesses um, that stand by so we've so I've seen over the years I've seen these phases I've seen these patterns I've been doing the website you know I've got a website that's been up there for years I get to see the patterns as they emerge from year to year. And so, you know, when I see what's going on with autism right now, I recognize, I mean, sadly, that, I did, I, you know, they're just, they're, you know, they've got a huge major cover-up going right now. Right now, what's going on with the medical industry is that they have put their own people into positions to come up with the bogus studies to confirm what they what you know they've got the pre-established results they say this is what we want to come up with go to it that's exactly what they're doing and I'm calling it exactly like it is this has been documented because many of the study the the people that have their names attached to these studies are paid consultants to the to the uh, pharmaceutical companies uh so there's a lot of corruption in fact the committees the committees that that mandate these vaccines that that license and mandate these vaccines there's two committees the FDA and the CDC have two committees they're the ones that determine which vaccines get licensed which ones get mandated congress in the year 2 in the year 2000 6 years ago congress investigated these committees and found that 50% of the members on one committee and 60% of the members on the other committee had corrupt ties to the medical industry where they were where they were getting paid from the pharmaceutical companies to tout the benefits of these vaccines and in one case one of the senior members on the committee actually owned a patent on the vaccine that he was recommending that every child in this country has to receive that vaccine was was mandated children received that vaccine and they were damaged and killed okay so so there's incredible corruption in this whole system but anyway getting back to the uh 
to the vaccines, autism, and childhood disorders, uh, this problem definitely broke open. I wrote this book to, to document uh, document uh, a lot of what was going on. I've got graphs in this book that show a spike in in certain periods uh, where where kids where where when they've increased the level and the number of vaccines required for these children. And remember, by the time these kids are two, they're receiving upwards of 20 to 30 different vaccines, okay? And uh, and the cases of autism have, have exploded. And it's not just related to mercury. The medical industry would like us to believe that now that they, un, you know, that they had their arms, you know, they had basically had to have their arms twisted to remove mercury from the vaccines. And the FDA allowed the pharmaceutical companies to continue to sell overstock so that they wouldn't lose money, even after they, you know, at the point where they were, where they were uh, uh, publicly recognizing the dangers of, of mercury in the vaccines. But at any rate, once they remove the, most of the mercury from the vaccines, there's still some mercury in the vac- some of the vaccines. Right. But once they removed a lot of the mercury from the vaccines, now the medical industry tries to convince parents, oh, even though mercury wasn't causing any problems, it's removed from vaccines now, so now you have absolutely nothing to worry about. But the thing that parents don't realize is that the thimerosal or the mercury in the vaccines was only one small portion, only one causative factor creating autism right. and, and causing other, other uh, you know, childhood disorders that, that are just not normal. Well, exactly, and this is where when parents put all of their eggs in one basket, thinking that chelation is the beginning and end all of their child's recovery, um, they're missing some very, very important signs, and dealing with the immune system is probably the most important piece, and detox as well. Um, what, what are you finding is happening to the health other than the typical mercury pieces, what the mercury is causing? What are you finding? Are you finding um, things such as the asthma and all of that? Oh, well, you know, it's a spectrum. What happens is when, when a kid is damaged, and we don't know the extent of the damage. When You know, I get so many cases if a parent goes, gets the kid, you know, goes to two months, has the kid vaccinated, they have a minor reaction or a major reaction and end up in the hospital, and they still go. The doctor tells them there's no connection, so they go back four months, they go back and get more vaccine. Then they come to me sometimes and they say, Mr. Miller, my, my child, you know, got vaccines at two months, ended up in the hospital vaccines at four months ended up in the hospital um, but the doctor says there's the doctor says there's no no connection the reason I'm calling you is I want to find out what you think I should do now that it's time for my child's six-month vaccines I, I know Neil this is your biggest pet no it's my pet peeve and it's, and it's like you know I what I think you should do maybe you should give your child up for adoption because you're not qualified to raise this child if you've lost all your maternal instincts I know I I totally know what you're saying we've talked about this, Neil, and this is... I don't want to put the blame on the parents, you know, but because, you know, the doctors are, are, you know, parents just place too much faith in these doctors, and they've lost all trust in their own ability to to wade through the information. But parents are getting a tad more empowered now than they were in my parents' age when they wouldn't even consider not listening to what their doctor says. At least now with the Internet, people are 
reading and becoming a little bit more empowered. Starting. And you know what? I, I, I see the change taking place slowly this way. When the younger parents, the, the, the 20-somethings, start moving and, and they're starting to wake up and realize there's problems with these vaccines, when they start moving into the 30s and their 40s and start taking political positions and start yeah. taking positions of power within society yeah. and can start affecting change, then slowly maybe we'll have the shift that we need. Yeah, especially because these, these are the generations that's going to grow up with siblings that have been affected, and it's going to be a lot closer to home as to how it's hitting mm-hmm. them. Um, but the damage, but the damage is definitely on a spectrum, and so you can have have one kid that that react, You know, it's like somebody reacts to strawberries and somebody doesn't. Somebody right. reacts to nuts and somebody right. doesn't. It's the same thing. It's it's like it's Russian roulette. You don't know if your kid's going to have a serious reaction to some of the components in these vaccines. And, and, that's, and treating is the same way. I mean, you can't just say, "Well, this works for one child, and it's going to work for another." Right. Exactly, and and the and and what happens is a lot of this doesn't show up until the kids go to school, and then you realize they've got learning disabilities or they've got subpar intelligence because a portion of their of their mental functioning has been damaged, or they've got immunological disorders of various types. So there's this whole spectrum from the from the one end of maybe dyslexia, hyperactivity disorder, because all of these are neurological this is neurological disorders that have been linked to the vaccines in, in some cases, and all the way up that spectrum all the way up to brain damage, autism, and death, okay, depending on how serious your child has a reaction to any of these vaccines. Now, again, I just want to point out, too, that I don't recommend for or against vaccines. I don't think they were, they were not a wise choice for my family, and I think that the entire paradigm has has flaws in it, but I also am a big, a big supporter of freedom of choice. So parents should be entitled to to all the available information, and they should be free to make this decision whether they want these vaccines or want or want to reject these vaccines. I'm, I'm absolutely 100% opposed to mandatory vaccines. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You wrote in your book that this this amount astonished me. Although I believe it, but it was still hard to hear. 82% of doctors do not report vaccine reactions. Oh, the, the statistics are probably worse than that. I mean, legally, the, the doctors, you know, in 1986, when, when Congress established a new vaccine law and was going to compensate, uh, compensate kids when they were damaged and moved it out of, you know, having to sue the pharmaceutical companies, um, they also established a requirement that, that when, a kid is, when a kid is suspected of having been uh, 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 having a serious reaction or, or any type of reaction from a vaccine, the doctor is legally obligated to report that. The FDA and the, the FDA and CDC put together a, a national database to collect this data. Well, you know how doctors are getting around it. They simply say, "I don't think that's you know." A kid can be in the in the in the doctor's office, get a shot, and collapse right there in the doctor's room, or can go home. Parents, have, all of a sudden, for the first time in the kid's life, two hours after he gets the shot, the kid's gone into convulsions. His eyes are rolling back in his head, and he's screaming at this high high pitched. Uh, Scream and he's arching his back, and that's called the creencephalique, where there's uh, nervous, serious nervous system damage taking place. Um, and the parent can rush it back to the hospital, to the doctor, or to the hospital, and the doctor simply says, "I don't think there's a connection." That's how they get around reporting this. So even the even the reactions that are reported every year, 
between 12,000 and 14,000 reports of serious adverse reactions to vaccines are reported to the FDA and the CDC, <clears throat> to VAERS. It's called the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, capital V-A-E-R-S. And the, the, the government doesn't even do anything with this. They, 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 they say just because these are reported, and I'll tell you something, 17% of them, 17% of these reports are what are considered serious, which means that they required hospitalizations mm-hmm. or death. They won't even investigate these. No. They, so there's nothing being done. It's a crime. Um, we're talking with Neil Miller. Please don't go away. We'll be back to conclude our talk today on vaccines, autism, and childhood disorders. Thank you for joining us. We'll be right back. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute. And the main issue, to sum everything up, is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies. And we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the Sensory Learning Program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. The Men's Health and Lifestyle Show with Dr. Philip Worthman explores in-depth topics of concern to men of all ages regarding their health and lifestyle in an informative and provocative way. This show is the user's manual for men, a detailed and unedited guide to male physiology. Dr. Worthman, a recognized authority in men's health and male fertility, and his expert guests stimulate informative discussions and debates in a serious yet entertaining way, from explaining how or why the male body works as it does, to dispelling myths and misconceptions about men's health and sexuality. Dr. Worthman covers and uncovers it all. The Men's Health and Lifestyle Show broadcasts each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The Men's Health and Lifestyle Show, teaching men and what they need to know to live healthy, happy, and productive lives. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. Thank you for rejoining us. We're here with Neil Miller author of Vaccines, Are They Really Safe? And Vaccines, Autism, and Childhood Disorders, another book of which he's written, which we're talking a bit about now. I, I, Neil, I want to know what um, choices parents have. You know, What I hear a lot from people is they say to me, but if I, I, I hear what you're saying, it scares the living daylights out of me, um, but, 
you know, what are my legal rights? How can I get away with it? They're, my my doctor's pressuring me. My schools are pressuring right. me. Right, and there, are, there, there is a lot of pressure on parents to, to get these vaccines, and the school systems uh, are, you know, the custodians to, to be sure that these kids are vaccines, to get these vaccines. Um, but the vaccines are not legally required. When your child, when your child is young, when your child's an infant, the doctor will put a lot of pressure on the parent to get these get these vaccines. But at that stage, they're not legally required. They're they're essentially legally required. When, when, when it's time to go to, to, to get into daycare or school, but then parents don't realize you, you are allowed to take legal, exe- legal exemptions. There's waivers. The laws are written so that these vaccines are required. However, you also can exempt your chi- child from these requirements. And every state has a different, has a different law and has a different, uh, uh, exemption that's permitted. There's about 17 or 18, maybe 19 states now that have what are called philosophical exemptions where you simply state, you know, something to the effect of that you're basically opposed to vaccines. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to go into any kind of detail. Uh, you don't have to uh, argue or debate with anybody. Uh, you know, states like California, uh, New Mexico, Colorado, Arizona. These are states, you know, there's lots of others, Michigan, many other states, Oklahoma, that have, have philosophical exemption where your kids are not legally required to get these vaccines. Other states have religious exemptions, okay? And each of the religious exemptions are written up in different ways. You can be Catholic, you can be Jewish, you can be Protestant, and yet you can still have personal religious beliefs above and beyond those of your traditional uh, religious uh, beliefs. So you can take these religious exemptions as well. Do you have uh, more information of this on your website? Yes, I do. Uh, my website at thinktwice.com is very extensive, lots of free information. In fact, I've even posted some of the, old, the, the, some of the other books that I've written that I've let gone out of print. Um, we've actually... We've actually posted lots of the chapters and things that are up there. There's lots of information on vaccine laws, support groups. There's articles, studies, personal stories. You know, a lot of people write to me with unsolicited stories. They, they, they you know, sadly, they'll, they'll, you know, I try to reach parents before the damage is done so they can make an informed choice. But sadly, a lot of times parents will, will have a child that's damaged after, they, after the child receives vaccines. They'll get up on the Internet. They'll punch in something into the internet like vaccine damage or vaccine reaction or my child received MMR and now he's, you know, got problems or, and, and my, my vaccine site will show up. That's- then they'll go into my vaccine site and then they'll write me and they'll say, I had no idea. My doctor didn't tell me, um, you know, and, and, you know, I, and, and they'll write their personal stories. And so we even have a section there. That's just, you know, story after story of unsolicited, um, just heart-wrenching stories. Of, yeah, of, and that's so hard to listen to, but it's, it's definitely out there, and I see it in every state out there as we go around. You know, I, I, there's three stories in the news uh, that I, I want to, to talk to you about. One is this whole big thing with the mumps um, outbreak, and I have an article here from NVIC News um, uh, with hundreds of questions about the mumps vaccine. I find this very interesting, however. Um, the quote is, in Iowa, 64% of those who came down with a mumps had two doses two doses yeah. of the vaccine, yeah. other 10% at one dose. Only 3% of the patients are confirmed to not have had yeah. the vaccine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, well, here's what's going on. First of all, mumps is not a big deal, okay? 
not a big deal. And I'll tell you something. In my book, Vaccines, Autism, and Childhood Disorders, in the back of the book, the whole second half of that book, I, I cover MMR because the MMR vaccine, remember we were talking about mercury is, is one causative factor for autism. Right. Well, MMR is also was a, is a, is a strong contributing factor to autism. And I, 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 this, this book has the, the best documentation of anywhere that I've seen on the measles vaccine, the mumps vaccine, and the rubella vaccine, the MMR, the three uh, the three vaccines that go into MMR. And I cover mumps quite extensively in, in, in the back of that, that book. And it's really not that big of a deal. And in fact, uh, you know, you know, a lot of times these, these diseases, you want to get them as a kid because they give you sure. lifetime immunity and, you know, they actually uh, stimulate your health in, in, in very positive ways. But in terms of, in terms of this outbreak, this outbreak, this type of outbreak has taken place in England. In past years, with this mumps, with this mumps vaccine, the thing that they're not telling people, I suspect that it's the actual mumps vaccine that's causing all of these diseases. It's not, it's not a breakdown. See, a lot of what the what the, what the medical industry is trying to convince people is that that. And here's the odd thing: there's you're saying roughly seventy percent of the people that are getting mumps right now have been vaccinated against mumps. And the, and the medical industry says so. So come quickly, everybody, line up, and you need to get you, you need to get your vaccine. Well, that's odd to me. The, yeah. the the answer to an ineffective vaccine is to get more of it. <laughs> that's their answer. That's always been their answer. That, you know, that's why how, how they introduced booster vaccines. Right. You know, they said here you got to get a measles vaccine. Whoops, the measles vaccine lost its efficacy after a few years, so it's not working. It's ineffective. So what's the answer? Well, let's give more of it. That's their answer. More, give more of an ineffective vaccine. But at any rate, the point I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make here is that the, the mumps vaccine, the, that, that a lot of times they'll try to cover it and they'll try to make it seem like, well, okay, maybe the vaccine lost its efficacy and these people that are contracting mumps somehow got it naturally in society. No, I'm suspecting that it's the mumps vaccine itself. Remember, it's a live virus. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's the mumps vaccine itself that is causing mumps in these people, and they are also spreading it to other people from, from the live mumps that's emanating, um, the live mumps virus that's emanating from their system. Sounds very, very... Well, there's documented studies for this. I, I'll tell you, for example, rubella, chronic fatigue syndrome. There's, there's three, three studies that I've, I'm aware of that have documented that the rubella vaccine is actually the cause of, of, of chronic fatigue syndrome in some cases. Okay, these kids are vaccinated with... What happens is kids are vaccinated with rubella vaccine. It's a live virus that's emanating from their system. They come in contact with an adult. The adult catches it and it overstimulates their their immune system and they come down with Epstein-Barr or, or chronic fatigue syndrome. So there's there's a lot of documentation in the studies that some of these kids that are vaccinated with live viral vaccines can spread these to other members of the population. And that's true with the flu vaccine as well too. Oh yeah. The, the you know and and you know any of these live viral vaccines chickenpox is a big deal. Right now there's serious problems with chickenpox because what happens is they 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 it's causing shingles. These kids that have been vaccinated with chickenpox they they're, they're live little walking time bombs in the population because they're emanating this chickenpox virus. Now adults 
adults, you know, adults that were, were got caught chickenpox naturally, they're not being stimulated naturally from chicken. Chickenpox isn't natural in society anymore. So when they come in contact with these, when if their immune systems get lowered, they're being reactivated with with uh, shingles. Okay, I I document a research on my website, uh, uh, Gary Goldst. Uh, uh, Gary Goldstein, he's, he's, uh, written several, uh, he was actually a government, in, he was actually worked for the CDC and, uh, tried to speak out about some of the problems he saw with the chickenpox vaccine and they, they, uh, you know, they tried to, uh, to stifle him from speaking yeah, out. They did. But, uh, but he was able to speak out and he speaks, uh, quite a bit, quite a bit about this serious problem that the chickenpox vaccine has caused. And I talk about that too. What I talk about in my books is, <clears throat> The changing epidemiology of the diseases, where they used to uh, measles, mumps, these used to be childhood diseases because they got rid of the vaccine and, and uh, mothers are no longer passing on maternal antibodies to their babies. These babies are now susceptible, and babies, infants are much. It's a much more dangerous disease for infants to get, say, measles or mumps than it is for a, for a you know a, a, a young child, say, eight or nine years old. Okay, or for a teenager to get chickenpox. That's much more dangerous for a teenager or an adult to get chickenpox than it is for, for, uh, uh, a child between the ages of, say, three and four and, say, ten or twelve. Eighty-five percent of all cases of, of measles used to take place between young children. Now, vast 40% of all cases of measles are taking place in infants. The medical establishment changed the epidemiology of some of these diseases and actually made them killers again. Important information. This has been a wonderful show, Neil. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Uh, Neil Miller, everybody, please go to his website, www.thinktwice.com. Correct.com. Yes, it is. Uh, Thinktwice.com. Neil, you're wonderful, and I hope you'll be back again sometime and keep us up to date with what's happening. I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to return. Thanks, Betsy. Thanks for joining us. Bye bye. The Sensory Learning Center would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Betsy or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks.